0: That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday the 31st of May and you're very welcome to the Weekly Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio today, Mary Minahan and Sarah Barton from our political staff. Before we start, remember that you can find us on irishtimes.com slash podcasts or you can subscribe via iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. And if you are one of our subscribers, we would be extremely grateful if you take a moment to share or to recommend the podcast. But first, the thing that's still dominating the political sphere in Ireland, uh, in any case, is the, uh, the ongoing Fine Gael leadership contest, which will lead to the election of a new Taoiseach fairly imminently at this point. Um, Mary Minahan, how's it going?
1: <laughs> well, we were all woken up by the tweet from the US President Donald Trump this morning where he <laughs> has created a new hashtag. Is it coffee fee?
0: Yeah, we haven't co-fee-fee? actually. We, uh, we were discussing the Irish Times audio style book before we started. <laughs> and Kofife, I think we, we, we might go for. Sarah?
2: Yeah, yeah that works for me. Grasping at straws, <laughs> I thought,
1: you know, this is the beginning of the word coveney. It's got the same number of letters. Maybe we need to update our Irish Times tracker, but um, I don't think so. Um, but yes, I, I, I guess now the latest is that we have over 50% of Fine Gael councillors uh apparently going to opt for Mr. Vradker. Um uh, Coveney camp is acknowledging that it you know it needs a number of members of the parliamentary party who've already declared publicly for Mr Vradker to switch their support behind closed doors in the secret ballot if they're to have any chance of victory. And you know Coveney's supporters have uh sketched out a number of scenarios in which they say their man may do well and this piece of paper was doing the rounds in Leinster House last night. It's it's very, very interesting, very, very geeky. Uh oh, and, take us
0: through it please. Yeah, Yeah, they've
1: got these four scenarios and they keep the parliamentary party declared members static in it at 18.9% for Mr Coveney. And then, of course, there are the six members of the parliamentary party then up for grabs and they sketch out a number of scenarios where that goes from four to six. Is it still six up for grabs, Sarah? Mm -hmm. Is that right? They they sketch out a number of scenarios where that goes from uh, four members going for Coveney to six members going for Coveney. So that would give them uh, 3.6% up up to 5.4% and then county councillors they give him uh, uh, various scenarios going from 4.8% to 5.5% and then grassroots members they give him various splits there 60-40 going to 70-30 which would be 15% up to 17.5% so basically there's a lot of numbers there and I'm sorry about that in the scenarios the the worst case scenario uh, they project is Simon Coveney getting 14.3% and the best case case scenario, they have him at 47.3%. So
0: That's quite a span.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's very, very interesting. Of course, uh, probably everyone knows by now, but it's worth going over again. Maybe there are the three colleges here, the TD Senators and MEPs weighted at 65%, councillors 10% and members 25%. And, of course, there's a big lump of the membership in the south of the country, uh, in Mr Coveney's base. Has there been a bit around of Cork packing of that Monster. particular
0: constituency over the, over the last year or so? I mean, I was surprised when I saw the numbers. I know that Fine Gael is strong in, in Cork, you know. and uh, But the fact that there are more Fine Gael members in Cork than in the whole Dublin area, for example.
1: Yeah, I suppose it is surprising, but I, I guess it speaks to the kind of uh, vote that Fine Gael has traditionally appealed to over the years. I mean, we use these cliches about it being a party for big, wealthy farmers and also for urban lawyers. You know, it's it's not strictly true. I mean, obviously, well, there are just people whose families have voted Fine Gael for generations and they continue to do so. Um, but... The, the I think the the hostings were fascinating and the the really significant one I think was the final one wasn't which was in Cork I was in Carlo the second one and Sarah was in Ballinasloe the third one which were lively enough in their own way uh, I mean the Dublin one the first one I think Simon Coveney showed his claws for the first time it was, you know he's a very sort of a gentlemanly performer and we hadn't really seen him uh in, engaging in this kind of combat well, to, with his his oh he absolutely had to do yeah. it and I think because Lee of Radker was in the lead, he could kind of, you know, roll with the punches a bit. And it was all quite, you know, it, he took it in a kind of a jolly way. But things changed in Cork. You know, I mean, it has a reputation for being a place where ambushes happened, but that didn't quite happen for Simon Coveney. And I think Leo Radker took a very different tone from the off, which it seemed to me took Coveney by surprise. And we
0: can hear an example of exactly that just here. The difference is, is that I'm putting forward a programme of substance decisions I would actually make. Not something broader and vaguer that allows me to cover up the fact that I'm not willing to make choices or make decisions. And leadership is about decisions. What Leo's doing is committing to spend money that we don't have yet. That's- now, that's Leo Varadkar, Sarah, kind of coming out you know, fairly strongly. I mean, the, the political, uh, you know, the political guidebook rules 101 would be if you're in the lead, don't rock the boat and don't make a mistake and don't ripple the water too much. Is the, Should we read anything into the fact that Leo Varadkar came out so strongly in that final hustings?
2: I think really uh, the location had a significant amount to do with this up until Cork. Um, it was widely acknowledged that Mr. Vrakker hadn't performed extraordinarily well in the hustings and that Simon Coveney was the perceived winner from the husting in Dublin, from the husting in Carlow, and indeed from the husting in Ballinasloe, in which I was at. Um, and Vrakker knew that going to a place. Like Cork, where there was a thousand members expected, primarily the audience was with Coveney supporters. That really he had to come out fighting and do do his best, I suppose, to win over the Cork crowd, knowing that you know they were fully supportive of Simon Coveney, but. If, as expected, Leo Varadkar is the next Finnegan leader and indeed the next Taoiseach, then perhaps he had to win over some of them as best as he possibly could and he came out fighting. I do think that the um, media coverage, which said that Simon Coveney was the perceived winner of the three hustings, really irritated the Varadkar camp because I know when in Low, um on Saturday night, uh, the spinners were over very quickly to tell us how Varadkar had floored uh, Simon Coveney <laughs> with his level of detail, and I was a bit and puzzled. Were they right? No, um, I, I, I went into it completely, completely intrigued to have and not followed the other two as closely as maybe as I as I should have. But um, was really had an open mind as to you know who was going to win, and you know it was pretty evident that with the passion and the contributions that Coveney gave that he was the winner of that debate. So you always know when the spinners from another side come over to you to brief you that, that, that they're, they're their back. Is when up you're explaining you're so losing
0: or when you're arguing losing. I do I wonder though, I mean, one of the selling points supposedly of Leo Varadkar to the to the Fine Gael party is that he will is that he's a performer, is that he'll stand up in the doll and swat aside Michal Martin, you know, that he's got the kind of the, the rhetoric and the intellect and the aggression to think and think and speak on his feet. So he perhaps he felt the need to demonstrate that.
2: Yeah, I think Mary's right when she says that people didn't really know Simon Coveney at all before the hustings. I mean, the wider general public knew who Leo Varadkar was because of, you know, his decision to come out as a gay man in twenty fifteen. He, he he was widely known then to the to the general public. Whereas Coveney, not many people knew about him. So he had more of a fight, um a fight to uphold. Varadkar has extraordinary attention to detail. He reads absolutely every single You know, newspaper. He has, um, he'd be the first to be in contact with you if you wrote wrote something about him that it didn't best please him or that he found it was inaccurate. Um, So I suppose those who support him are right in saying that Mihal Martin has that same level of detail, and they need someone. To go up against him in the same and manner, the
0: implicit criticism um, there and in other things that Faradkar has said that Simon Coveney actually didn't put out a detailed policy program to to rebut his his detailed policy program. Is there some that's truth a valid that? criticism? Yeah.
2: You know, I I, I think he, Mary was at his uh, his launch the Sunday that he um, that he announced it. But if Ernest Chilio, I suppose he had come up with. Two policy platforms. They're not the, the second policy platform he came up with was how to re-energise Finnegall. It's not an extraordinary document. If you go through it, it's it's pretty much bringing a party into the 21st century, talking about a special delegate conference if they were to ever enter government and to talk about a united Ireland. I mean, they're they're just putting his thoughts really to paper. If you match Coveney and Veradkar's actually substantial policy documents, there's not really no. anything too drastic between them.
1: No, and I think Leo Varadkar makes a you know an interesting Point about these policy documents that he talks about at, um, you know, an election campaign say, day 15 of the campaign, a party launches its uh, manifesto with great aplomb. But actually, the reality is, nobody has time to read it in any great detail. So, what he's proposing is a rolling manifesto that, and again, now I think Varadkar has been so skillful here, he's always, you know, speaking over the media and speaking to. His voters, and just remember, you know, this is a tiny electorate. Like, if you think about the electorate in a general election, I think it was two point one five million voted in the in the twenty sixteen. This is an elect, a potential electorate of twenty one thousand people who are choosing not only a leader but a Tishk for the entire country. So he's always speaking specifically to these people, and he's saying, you know, you'll have an input into this, uh, you know, these things, these awful things that happened. He keeps making this thing about. Do you remember the local elections of twenty fourteen tripping over what? water meters to go and tell parents of disabled kids why the government was taking their medical card off them that will never happen under me as Teushuk and, and there's
0: it- also perhaps you know a reference back to the most recent general election campaign where in in a laboratory somewhere, a set of Fine Gael policies were deemed to be the appropriate and ones when, and were proved not to be appealing.
1: When Leo Veradker was the head of the Communications Committee
2: as well, um, which was, yeah. you know, I think Simon Coveney made a good point about that during one of the hostings. One of the things Mary says Mary says is absolutely accurate. You know, he's appealing to the Fine Gael voters, but what he's forgetting is that Fine Gael will have to fight a general election and he's not appealing to the wider general public with his one with One battle his his policies. at a time, maybe? Perhaps, yeah, but I mean, if you look at, let's say, for example, the attempts of uh, Simon Coveney versus Leo Varadkar to speak to the general public, and by doing so, that's through the platform of, of the media. Simon Coveney has been on every local radio station across the country. He's been on Vincent Brown, he's been on TV3 News, he's done 6 One, he's done Primetime, he's done in, in, a video interview with our our, our own Harry McGee. Um, Leo Varadkar has done Ortiz Primetime. Very maybe fix one news. I guess that's the prerogative of the person in the lead,
1: though you do see that, don't you, in, in campaigns here and in Britain. But and what very about if I, were, if I were a
0: conspiracy theorist? I might say, well, maybe Simon Coveney doesn't expect to win anyway, so he's using this as a platform to increase his his political capital in the future.
2: Well, just very interestingly, Leo Fracker has increased his local media pro- uh, interviews since Monday. So if you were to be a conspiracy theorist, you'd wonder whether you know, he's acknowledging that that's working for Simon Coveney.
0: Which brings me to my question, which is... Do these hustings matter at all? Do you get, have you had a sense, and you've both attended them, do you get any sense of people there whose minds are being changed or made up as a result of this process? I don't know
2: if they're being changed, but it's definitely re-energised Fine Gael. Like the passion that was in the room on Ballinasloe on a Saturday night now, I wasn't expecting much of a, 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 an audience from it, but there was about 800 members there who were there um, with, in great spirits and also, you know, very vocal um I think they've really re-energized the party I think four of them was a lot and I think four of them in the succession you know at Thursday Friday Saturday and Sunday was a lot for anyone to have to uh, to have to go through but they're appealing to their base I'd have to say now on late Saturday night I did see a group of members cornering about three TDs telling them that they should ch- change their vote. I don't know if it'll ever amount to anything, but I think that, you know, for Simon Coveney, he would hope that it would. Just
0: before um, we came in here, you were having a conversation with one of our colleagues and uh, let's say we were to take the the numbers which which Mary gave at the top of the podcast and and assume the best scenario, which according to the Coveney camp, was that they're at 47%. So -hmm. in fact, they'd really, if that were the case, and that's a very big if, they'd really only need to turn quite a small number of the parliamentary party to, to win this.
2: Yeah, and what I heard late last night was that um, the influence of Michael Noonan and the influence of Enda Kenny was being heavily relied on by the by the Coveney camp. That they still, while, they, while Michael Noonan in particular wouldn't have as much of a pull in the party as he did previously, that he is using the influence that he has over a number of members of the party to try and convince them to change their vote. Now, whether that's just idle gossip or whether that's actual fact remains to be seen. Kind of intriguing. It's, it's incredibly intriguing because, um, you know, that Michael Noonan was key in the 2010 heave um, against Enda Kenny and it was he that turned it around eventually for, for Enda Kenny, for Enda Kenny to beat Richard Bruton. If if it is true, we do know that there's a number of members of the parliamentary party who Michael Luna would be extremely close with and he could exert his influence over them. There's also a number of members of the parliamentary party that Enda Kenny has a, a great deal of influence over. Now, it might just be wishful thinking by the Coveney camp. It, it is very difficult to see how it could be turned around at such a late stage, but we have to remember it is a secret ballot. Um, if two or three or or five or six turn you know turn their vote um, from uh, Leo Vraker to Simon Coveney. We might all have our uh, have some ideas about what uh, who they might be, but it'd be very difficult to it figure out who they It would surely
0: be an extraordinary moment in the history of Irish politics, Mary, if the majority of the parliamentary party had already come out publicly in favour of yeah. one candidate, and then that candidate lost the vote. Oh, it would be extraordinary!
1: Party. But if twenty sixteen taught us anything, it's that there's a political shock around every corner. I mean, yes, it's unlikely, but there are a number of scenarios in which you could see it happening in a secret ballot that someone might go in and say to themselves, do you know what? Leo Varadkar's home and hosed. He doesn't really need my vote. I'll throw one to Simon Coveney. You That's know, the
0: Jeremy Corbyn parallel again. If those <laughs> numbers
1: began to stack up or someone may think, you know what? It's a secret ballot. Uh, they may personally prefer Simon Coveney and they may have committed to Leo Varadkar and they may, uh, they may think, you know what, no one's ever going to know it's a secret ballot. But look, you know, we've heard from Coveney's camp, you know, they're depending on politicians being politicians and not always telling the truth. And they say they have a few switchers in the bag but the plot thickens. The Varadkar camp is also claiming that it has a number of people who have publicly declared for Coveney who are actually going to go over to Leo Varadkar go. when the time comes. So look, at the moment, it's looking like this very small, specific electorate is going to go for the change rather than the continuity candidate, if you like. Because as Sarah has said, n- not all cabinet ministers are accounted for. There's a tradition uh, that uh, previous leaders don't uh, So we make haven't public. heard from Kenny or from Noonan Enda, Michael leaders. Noonan, you might say that, you know, it mightn't help a candidate if they came out to back them because, mm-hmm. sad to say, they're kind of yesterday's men in in this political sphere. But, as Sarah has said, very, very influential figures among the rank and file. So, you know, the big question now, I suppose, is if, as it's looking like at the minute, Mr. Varadkar gets it, what happens? Does the country, does Fine Gael lurch to the right? Does the country lurch to the right? Well, in fact, no, And
0: actually hold that thought for a second because here's a, another, another clip from Leo Varadkar on Sunday which is kind of around that debate. I've heard a little bit of talk um, from Simon in the last couple of debates about compassion, I agree with a lot of what he says. But what I can't agree is what he's tried to say about me. There are enough people who there, there are enough people there are enough people who want to misrepresent our party as being uncaring and not, and, and not being interested in, 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 in people across society. We've enough of that without us saying those things about each other. In my view, it's, di- it's, it's divisive, it's dishonest, and it's not a good way to seek a mandate. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, on one level, that's just part of the hurdy burly of the, you know, the, the the final hostings. But there is this ongoing mm. just society versus a, a, a different approach debate. Um, for my sins, I actually had a look at a bit of the just society over the last few days. I really wish I hadn't. Um, <laughs> it's as if the British general election was being fought on the basis of, you know, Harold Wilson's, <laughs> you know, industrial policy from 1963. It's absolutely absurd.
1: There are some very curious things in that, but, you know, I suppose the question for for now for twenty seventeen is that under Leo Radker will there be any regard for the man in the sleeping bag on Grafton Street who will never vote for Finnegale? That's the, the the well, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not a mythical person. It's a very real person. If you walk up Grafton Street of an evening, that Simon Coveney cited a number of times during the hustings, and you know, I think there is a certain irony in there that this Finnegale electorate is seems to be in bulk plumping for Leo Radker because they well. Number one because they think they can get he can get them elected, but number two because they think he can increase the popularity and base of Finnegale because he definitely has that people use that X factor line. They, he has that quality that appeals to people beyond politics, younger people who traditionally haven't been that engaged with a with a party like Fine Gael. But you know, I well, think. Well, what about
0: the ideology part of it? What about the, well, actually well, shifting the party? To yeah, the
1: actually, Simon Coveney is the one who's been. Actually, making this appeal to really broaden the base of Finnegale and actually to think about people who don 't vote for Fine Gael. so, as I say there is a there is a certain irony there because Mr. Vradker is as you say, one battle at a time, he wants to win this battle first, then we 'll hear more about what he really thinks, but he 's clearly been focusing on what you might call society's strivers now, these people who, who get up early in the morning, putting himself in this political pantheon of the modern day with people like Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel, Emmanuel Macron. You know, people, uh, politicians who, again, Go beyond uh, a and a sort of a party. reinvention
0: of the centrist message for a uh, for a new for a new era, I suppose. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, should we take
0: any of this seriously at all? There's implicit in Varadkar's criticism of Coveney, Sarah, is that Coveney just kind of discovered this as a kind of campaign slogan about three weeks ago, and 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 has just go along with it? Is it meaningful? Like, is there are there observable political differences between the Coveney camp and the Varadkar camp on issues of policy?
2: Maybe not on their camp, but. I, I, when when the leadership was uh, kicking off, I did a profile on Leo Vrecker and had the pleasure of looking through some of the letters that he sent to the Irish Times from when he was a teenager up until now and looking back at his early contributions in the Dáil. And some of the policies that he put forward when he was elected first were extraordinary, to say the least. He proposed that we pay immigrants, that the state pay immigrants to leave the country. He also proposed in 2007 that... Um, the pr- prisoners would pay for their own food and accommodation. Um, in 2013, two years before he came out as a gay man, he said that he thought that a fam- the family was a man and woman and children. Like, he, his early political life would suggest that he is a lot more to the right than he is, than he is now proclaiming to be. It's like, it's like a lot of it is hidden and you just would wonder... Well, the
0: two questions, has he changed or has he been hiding? See,
1: I Very think good question.
2: politicians can evolve, you
1: know, I mean, he has spoken about it, like... See, Fine Gael want, I think, a tough person at the helm because of what's ahead. I mean, there are massive issues ahead. Like he's talked about having unfinished business in health, and he most certainly does. I mean, he, man- he managed to kind of swan out of the Department of Health, which has ruined the careers of, of many a politician. Uh, but he has said now he's unfinished business in it. And if he does become Taoiseach, he's going to be basically at the side of the Minister for Health, uh, helping them uh, to finish that business. Um Housing and homelessness—that's the other big thing. Uh, Abortion—that—that that is
2: an issue like that. I think he has changed his mind on. And yeah, but we're not still a hundred percent certain where he stands on that. He says that he he is in favour of abortion when a mother's life is at risk, but that's already in legislation. In the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Bill, he actually went
1: a wee bit further than that, though. In Carlo, and he said that the Eighth Amendment was too restrictive, needed to be ch- pla- replaced with something else, and that abortion should be allowed in certain scenarios. He mentioned only it,
2: it, it,
0: it's no fair no, to say, meant, say that sorry, both say candidates it. are approaching this incredibly carefully. Le, and can I just say what, what, what he actually sure. said?
1: Though the rape, fetal fetal abnormalities, and incest, but also when a woman's health was in danger of being permanently damaged. So that does take it further than a previously it held. Takes it further
0: than Simon Coveney's position? Oh very
1: much so. Simon Coveney would have a more traditional position on that and actually that that is one to watch. This is why I found going to the hostings very useful actually because in Carlo Simon Coveney's comments were, now he has said he he comes from a a traditional viewpoint uh, when it comes to abortion he does realise that the constitution needs to change, that's what he said in Carlo but he wanted to see, he stressed that he wanted to see a balance between modernising supports for women and protecting the life of the unborn, and his comments were met by applause in Carlo. Uh, now, Leo Radker, he made the comments that I've just outlined there about the Eighth Amendment being too restrictive and that abortion should be allowed in certain circumstances, although he did stress that, like Simon Coveney, he doesn't agree with abortion on request. But his, his comments were met with silence. It's just an interesting little straw in the wind there. When you go around, obviously, it speaks to the kind of audience that was there. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Uh, an older, I would say, majority male, quite a rural audience. Um, so, you know, it's just an interesting little observation. And the, you may the, not you might not notice it if you weren't in the room. Part, yeah, certain, in a
0: particular geographical the, area, with, yeah. you know, yeah. within the party. You agree with that,
2: sir? Yeah, I just think it's fascinating that when um, Varadkar had his campaign launch on the first Saturday of the contest, uh, our colleague, Fia Kelly, asked him about his view on abortion. And he's, he declined to state what it was. The following day, I think he was out at a press um, event, I, maybe it was two, a couple of days later anyway, a number of journalists um, asked him about his position on abortion and he said that he was in favour of it when a m- woman's life was at risk and when um, in cases of rape. And then fast forward you know, five, six days and he's gone extraordinarily Certainly further down down
0: the road. Incredibly
2: further down the road than he's ever stated before. Now, Mary did an interview with Leo Varadkar probably 2014, 2015, when he was Minister for Health. And he said something about he was in favour of abortion in the cases of fatal fetal abnormalities, I think. And when, again, when a woman's health was at risk. And then he he contradicted it a couple of days later. So I just say, like, you know, it seems to be we seem to be going in a a kind of a loop with where he actually stands on on the issue. In
1: that interview he did with me, he talked about I asked him about why his views appeared to have changed. And he he cited growing up and just life experience, you know, which I, I thought was interesting. But, you know, he does have a reputation for being a straight talker now. Certainly in my experience as a journalist, that hasn't always it just hasn't always been my experience in dealing with him. I will say he's an absolutely excellent communicator. There's no doubt about that. You know, he can speak in a language that isn't the traditional language of a politician. You know, he's, he, he sounds like a normal human being. It, it, you know, it's, it, we're But he's laughing, also, but as you
0: said earlier, very well informed. It's not, it oh, yeah.
1: goes without saying, but mm. it's, it's not really a skill that all politicians possess, you know. Mm.
0: Mm. Um, this was just to, just, just, to, just to wrap this up. He, the, the vote takes place, or the parliamentary party vote takes place on Friday morning, and then there's a count, Sarah, on Friday afternoon. When do we expect the result?
2: We're hoping that we'll have it. Uh, the The ballot box closed at twelve, so we're hoping that we should have a result probably just just in time for six o'clock.
0: And is this a sort of is this, is this an open count? Like, will you be lurking, peering over the barriers at the? We will. The, it's ooh,
2: in uh, Manch- the Mansion House, so uh, we'll be doing our best be to get some tallies. I'm hoping to
0: live blog it on Friday afternoon yeah. as well, and you never know, we might even do a special podcast or or something too. And just right. to ask, then we have a new Finnegall leader immediately mm-hmm. once this result comes in. When do we have a new T So
2: the week the Dáil is in recess for a week so Mr Radker or Mr Coveney will be using that opportunity to meet with uh, the independents that are in government and also to meet with the Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin and then the Dáil resumes the following week where it will elect a new Taoiseach hopefully right, just The independence thing is interesting actually because there's a lot of chat around Leinster House about Leave Radker's tolerance for the independents You know, Yeah and actually Michael Harty who has a sort of casual enough relationship yeah. with uh, supporting the government he's not a he's not completely aligned to mm-hmm. the government but he supports them on most issues said yesterday that he would have to reconsider whether or not he would continue to support the government on the election of a new Taoiseach um, so it, the independents might start throwing could, their toys at the Could you expand on
0: that note about tolerance do I mean his tolerance level is lower?
1: Yeah oh it's definitely lower Much lower Yeah and I, I mean I know well this is tricky you know when you're investigating what the independents think because you, you won't get any of them to say a bad word now about Leo Radker because they can sort of see the writing on the wall and they think he's probably going to be leader of Fine Gael and Taoiseach but certainly if you go back to the formation of this government, the independents definitely had much more time for Simon Coveney in the in the negotiations and in the talks and there's this kind of thing grew up about Leo Radker being on his phone all the, ta- all the time you know and it was a bit more than your average 30 something just attached to their phone and Being on his phone checking. when he's in the
0: room with them. Exactly. With that kind of, oh I'm so bored with this I'm just going to look at my phone kind of thing. we've they, all done it they,
1: well they find that very very offensive you know and uh, they, they much preferred their dealings with Simon Coveney but as I say now you, you won't get them to say a bad word about Leo and I'm just there. waiting for Even the, though, the know, satirist
0: who kind of you know, creates this Leo Radker persona of this millennial who kind of eye rolling you know and saying things like so that just happened and stuff like that <laughs> you <know? laughs>
1: but you know it, it, it is a tricky one for the independents because they definitely did have issues with Leo Vradker's solo run on the welfare fraud like that definitely went down very very well uh, very unwell <laughs> not very well, I suppose, in their constituencies. They just, you know, it's just difficult for them to swallow and, you know, even that people who get up out of bed early in the morning, that's kind of difficult mm. for some of the independents too. Now,
0: this, despite what you think, I mean, other political narratives are rolling along, whether, whether the political establishment wants them or not, sometimes because of things happening in the court. There's a, there was a massive case yesterday in relation to direct provision, Mary.
1: Yeah, and actually, it just reminded me that one of the the sort of the news lines out of the hustings, if you like, was Leo Radker saying that people in direct provision should have the right to work, you know, so when I heard that, uh, the case announcement yesterday, I thought to myself, well oh, did he have a sense that that was coming down the tracks, you know? Um,
0: because that principle was upheld in a yeah, Supreme Court case.
1: And uh, uh, our colleague Harry Magee is has a front page piece today about this and he has spoken to a spokesman for Francis Fitzgerald, the Minister for Justice, and he also said that in recent months, independent of this judgment, the minister had been starting to examine options for how, you know, asylum seekers would be allowed to access the labour market in in certain circumstances. But, you know, it's mortifying for Ireland, really. I mean, the point has been made that if this had been out there when Enda Kenny went over to Donald Trump on St. Patrick's Day and made his, Mm -hmm. you know, his very, very good speech about immigration Trump could have flattened him with this knowledge. The fact that the
0: judgement is based upon uh, the fact that the the sheer length of time, the inordinate length of time which people find themselves within direct provision system is what makes this uh, a breach of their human rights.
1: Plus the fact that this system has barely changed I think since 1999 and just the damage to an individual's self-worth that it must do.
2: It's it's, it's one of the the nation's great shames um, that we have all turned a blind eye to and no more so than, than those in in office. Um, those in direct provision can't just not only work if you look at the money that they're given by the state on a weekly basis. It's measly, it's paltry, it's absolutely disgraceful. The facilities that they find themselves in, I think Carl O'Brien did a, a wonderful piece last year where he uh, met a lot of the people who are in direct provision who outlined what they have to endure. It's appalling. They can't go to college, they can't work. So they're basically... Kept in these direct provision centres, and you know, as I said, everybody turns a blind eye to it. And uh, Judge uh, Brian McMahon actually did a, a, a very good report in 2015 um, outlining a number of recommendations that he believed should take place. And Aon Arreardon, who was the former uh, Minister of State of the Department of Justice, very much took it on in a personal capacity when the general election happened. It didn't even make it into the programme for partnership government, there's not one mention about the Judge Barry McMattan So it is yet, yet another
0: case of the, of the courts forcing the uh, Irish state to do the right thing
2: to acknowledge the that the, the you know, this is a, an extraordinary breach of human rights. I mean, uh, you know, in Harry's piece, you know, the Tanisha spokesperson referencing that moves have already been made to try and rectify this problem. If if there was moves being made, if it was such a priority for the that you know, why is it not in the programme for partnership? And, you know, why are we sitting here being talking about a, a Supreme Court ruling that's forcing her to respond or to act on it.
0: We're going to have to leave it there all oh, will become clear in the fullness of time indeed before we reconvene for our weekly podcast next Wednesday and we, I think we're almost bound to do another one before then but for now thanks very much to Mary and Sarah for joining us. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer Declan Connan and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember you can mail me at hlinnehan at irishtimes.com or you can always find me on Twitter but until the next time goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.